the Pope listens Dynasty our religion for the blokes missing On all of these trades, on all of these plays On all of these grades, by the end of the day y'all getting played So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex, send the homie a text That trash offers the best, you try to make it complex Then they text you back, now all of a sudden they don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy These trades not for consignment, boy Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy This my advice from me to you Open up your cute little podcast queue Search up G-O-A-T district, my dude Pop it in your ear, man, y'all know what to do It's the... And I'll always be traded And I'll always be traded and I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Bait em, bait em. Fish, fish. fish, fish. Trying to guess. Um, tonight, JD is not around. So um, just gonna be me and Dan Williamson. And we have an awesome guest tonight. Um, NFFC Hall of Famer Billy Wazowski. Uh, he's had unbelievable success in high-stakes fantasy football. He also uh, is a contributor to the Black Book. Um, and we're just excited to pick his brain a little bit tonight and um, get a chance to help you win your league uh, in 2021. Um, so, so welcome, Billy, into the GOAT district, and welcome, Dan, as well. Dan, how you doing tonight? Oh, doing great. Ready to talk a little football. This is one of those days at work, you know, that just kind of keeps getting crazier and crazier. So it was it was time to get off and let some steam out. No, I hear you. And um, Dan and I have both been in, in leagues with uh, with Billy. Billy's my league mate yep. um, in the in the New York Super for NFFC. Um, an awesome, awesome league. I've also competed with him uh, in the NFFC Classic, uh, the NFFC Primetime. Um, he is he is a very difficult player to play against. Um, he always has teams that are that are competing for the title, um, and I'm really excited to get a chance to um, to hear what you have to say tonight. Uh, Billy, welcome to the Goat District. I appreciate it, guys. I'm looking forward to this, and thanks for the kind words. Uh, you two are two of the best as well. You know, you guys are always like you just mentioned. You're always in every league as well, and you guys uh, always put great teams together and. And, you know, it, it, it gets harder every year. Like people just come out of the woodwork every year that you never even heard of. And all of a sudden it becomes much more difficult than it used to be back when I started back in like the late 80s. So, Yeah, it seems like the, you know, the better we get, it's like you just you know, all you're doing is kind of staying even with where you were in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, it's it's yeah. it's just a race to, uh, you know, not fall behind, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's much tighter um, these days. It's it's before I feel like for early drafting, you could really find extreme values and just keep hammering them. But it's almost like the market's kind of corrected itself, um, and it's June, and it's it's harder to extract extract those values. Would you guys both agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the fact that you know there's just so much information out there now. It's you know in social media and Twitter and everything else, and it's everybody's got the same information, and it's basically the people that can dive into it just a little more with a little more detail. And you know, obviously, there's a little load of luck involved in this too. But um, you know, it's it, there's just a lot of information, so it kind of evens the playing field a lot more than it used to be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I find you know. It used to be that I could start 
drafting in June and I, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good advantage because a lot of people weren't caught up to me. And then it became May and then April and then March. And now it's like you draft in February. And by the time you get to uh, the end of February, everybody's drafting uh, during that time period is, is already pretty well caught up to, to wherever you think you might be. So it, it, yeah. it just gets tougher. Yeah, and when you uh, when you get these June drafts, you you know too many of guys in in the draft room. It seems like, um, and that's that's not always a good thing in in the NFFC and the FFPC. Um, so, Billy, I, I know I was in in a in a RotoWire online championship with you um, uh, about a week ago. Um, are you yeah. doing a lot of drafts right now? Have you gotten started, or is this sort of you're just feeling it out at this point? Uh, I've done a lot of best balls up to this point because you know. It always comes down to how much can you manage when the season goes. And, you know, you try to limit them now. And like you said, pretty much the diehards are in right now. So it gets a little more um, weeded out, I guess you want to say, once we get to like mid-August, that range. But uh, I've done – I think I've done – about four or five managed right now. I haven't done that many managed leagues. Uh, I just did an auction last night online, which is fun. Those are always a good time. Um, and uh, done, uh, I think, five – actually, I've done probably <laughs> – see, I'm already over where I thought I was. So I've done about eight so far. <laughs> so I've done uh, – I do a couple online championships with a buddy of mine. We share them. And then um, I did the one with you. I've done three so far on my own, about three auctions. So, yeah, I'm already up to eight. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's the same way I find myself, you know, I'm constantly having to, to fight that itch, you know, it's like, no, no, do a best ball, do a best ball. No, no more managed leagues right now, yeah. you know, and because uh, I got I got myself in trouble on uh, Dynasty Depot with, uh, you know, eating up a few of those uh, orphan leagues and uh, or orphan teams. And so I managed to acquire about, I don't know, seven or eight more uh managed leagues than what I normally have, you know, heading into the redraft season. And uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit committed on that. So I'm, I'm trying to hold back a little bit on the, you know, the football guys and the online championships and that kind of thing and uh, save some of my bullets for Vegas. Absolutely. And Billy, when do you, when do you start really jumping into it um, with when, when you're drafting, you know, multiple times a week and is it is it after the fourth of july or do you try to wait a little closer to august i mean i try to wait as long as i can because you know like dan saying once you get to i mean when you get to new york and vegas it's just a whole bunch of leagues and you know you're going to have those so you try to limit what you can early on um i mean i do my first draft of the year literally starts the minute the super bowl is over Mm -hmm. Uh, we call it trendsetters it's great league it's a, it's a best ball, thankfully. We do it in phases, and it's a, it's a really good time. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I try to hold off as long as I can. I've actually done better this year than normal because normally by now I'd have a bunch of teams already. Uh, hope, what the best thing is because I'm a teacher and my wife's a teacher, we go on vacation in the summer. When I'm on vacation, I don't have to worry about it. I don't even look at what, you know, the, the room's filling up. Is it close to filling and that kind of thing. Um, but I do a lot in August. You know, uh, probably mid-August and on is when I start really picking it up. But, um, you know, I'll have probably probably 12, 15 teams by then. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, enough time to kind of get get the feel for how you want to draft. And, yeah, you know, because best balls do that some. But, you know, there's what do you, what do you find are the biggest differences between the best balls and the managed leagues as far as, like, how you draft? Oh, well, there's a, there's a big difference in those. I mean, I think um, – you know, 
best balls, you can get away. You can kind of try a lot of different things early on, in my opinion, in best balls, and you can still put a good team together. Because you, if, you, if you're good in those middle rounds, anywhere from like 15 to 25 or 20, and you can put a lot of team people together there, you're okay. You know, a managed league, it's more about um, – I mean, I saw a guy the other day, he uh, – he, he uh, the first seven rounds, he did not take a wide receiver in the NFFC. It was the managed league, and I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work. When you got to start three, that that's a problem. Yeah, that's the one. We, that's when we were in Billy. Uh, it, was it? I, I don't even remember. It wasn't. It was a managed league. It could very well could have been. And uh, yeah, he took seven. He took a quarterback, a tight end, and five running backs. And I'm just like, you can't play the three running backs. You got and you don't have one receiver yet. And then when you draft, you're drafting like six receivers in a row, and they're all the same guy. <laughs> Good luck picking those guys out every week. So, um, you know, it, it, I guess a bus ball is more about quantity over quality. Like, you know, getting a bunch of guys because you don't need, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, the start sits the decisions and those kind of things. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. No, if anybody's listening, um, Billy's had fantastic success. He's a Hall of Famer in the NFFC. Um, a lot of times we talk about FFPC with a tight end premium, two flexes. The NFFC is a three wide receivers you're starting every week, um, and you have a flex where oftentimes that, that flex is is another wide receiver. So if you get behind um, with wide receivers, I find it, it just crushes your team. Um, would you agree on that, Billy, in that format? 100%. You, you can't come out of a um, NFFC league without some decent receivers. Um, you just have to get them. You know, I mean, I know there's people there's, and you know, receivers a lot deeper this year. So they say, we always say stuff like that. And then we get to the season and we're like, Oh my gosh, he's terrible. And he's awful. And he's, and then you look at your team and you're in trouble. So, uh, receivers are a big deal in the NFFC and you really have to make sure you get some for sure. Yeah. You know, it, that I, I always kind of laugh when people say, Oh, receiver is deep or running back is deep or, you know, whatever is deep. And it, it always is deep until all of a sudden you realize that, you know what, there's still only 24 top 24 wide receivers every year. It, so it's, you know, in a way it, it kind of feels deep, but it never really is deep because, you know, it, it, it is what it is as far as, you know, like that top 24 or whatever, you know, what you're, what you're hoping for if it's deep is that there's, you know, you go from like wide receiver 15 to, 35 or something like that. And it's all, you know, pretty much kind of the same guy that you can kind of at least semi rely on, but even that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. And um, just to kind of harp on what these guys said is even in FFPC, I'm whenever I have a chance to get a a top notch wide receiver or, or a receiver with exceptional volume, it's really hard for me to pass them up. And I'm curious, you know, your guys thoughts on this, but it seems like the last few years, it's really hard to extract a lot of wide receiver value off the waiver wire. I mean, occasionally you get a league where maybe a Chase Claypool or a Justin Jefferson might be available if somebody dropped them, but that's kind of few and far between. It seems like last year it was Travis Fulgham, and that's pretty much it. It's it's really hard to find those guys. You know, the Mike Davises happen every single year, but, you know, those top-notch wide receivers, it's just getting harder and harder to find them. Yeah, and I think the running backs, you know, they definitely have more propensity to get hurt. And how many times have we seen, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but they have a running back and they need one off a roster and they pick up some guy who was working at UPS and then he gets jumps in and gets 25 carries and he has value. I mean, a running back, and it's the easiest position to learn, 
one of the easiest positions to learn in the NFL, you know, maybe hit the hole. I mean, <laughs> and uh, the receivers, when a receiver comes in, they're not going to be the number one target. I highly doubtful to become the number one target of the quarterback. They're going to be like third, fourth and pecking order. So it just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing is like, when you talk about the flex, I mean, I've seen people do it and I've done it on occasion, you know, sometimes you have to during a week where you have a running back at your flex or a tight end. But I mean, receivers are generally going to be your flex spot because they're just going to produce more overall. I mean, considering unless you, unless you build your team, you know, again, I'm talking about NFFC rules with three receiver, um, three really strong running backs. You can do it, but you know, generally I like to keep a wide receiver in my flex as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to If you're going to, goes heavy on the running backs. You've got to have some receivers in the, you know, the middle rounds that you feel very, very strongly about. They're going to pop because if they don't, you're probably going to be in trouble. And one question, um, you know, I'd like to hear from both of you guys on what are the biggest mistakes that you see drafters making, especially in, in FFPC and FFC formats where, where you're holding 20 on a roster, um, what, what do you see guys do you see guys ruining their their team in the draft or the way they manage it what, what are the biggest mistakes that you guys see Dan, you can go ahead on this first if you want <laughs> All right. well i mean yeah there's a there's a lot of ways to ruin a team but you know one of the ways uh the quickest ways to ruin it is um you know what billy was just talking about not really understanding the rules and how that relates to uh your scoring and your roster decisions and the, you know, the kind of decisions you're going to have to make all year long. And, you know, you can tell yourself that, yeah, three of these receivers I drafted real late out of, you know, six or seven are going to pop, but usually that's not the case. And so you're just misunderstanding, uh, you know, what you need and how to build your, your lineup. And then the other thing I see a lot of times is, and kind of related to that is uh, just overindulging in one position trying to, you know, punish um, other people in the draft who, you know, you, you decide they're not taking tight ends fast enough or something like that. So you say, well, fine, I'm going to grab, you know, three elite tight ends. Uh, but it just ends up hamstringing you so bad everywhere else that it ends up not being worth it. So those are a couple of them. I'm, I'm sure Billy's probably got plenty more too. No, that's, that's pretty, pretty good uh, summary of everything. Um, you know, I, I, the biggest thing, like you said, Dan, is people just taking a position over and over and over again, and they're not addressing their other needs. And roster construction, is it seems like a very simple, maybe to us it is, a very simple thing. Uh, I don't think it's simple for everybody. And, you know, some people, it just they have a different approach, or they're going to say, well, I'm going to do so, totally something completely different. Um, and sometimes, you know, that works. I mean, we all get mm-hmm. lucky sometimes. But, um for me, when I get to like round 12-ish in that range, I've generally had my, you know, I got my pretty much my starter set. And I got a little bit of a bench. You know, I like to go, I'm looking for upside. Mm-hmm. because, And I, I want to do this every year and I say I'm going to do it and I never, and I always forget. I want to take my teams or at least a few of them. And I want to see how many people from when I start on draft day, how many of those guys are left on my roster at the end. Because I will bet like so many of the people from like 13 on, you're, you're churning them constantly and you're moving them in and out and everything else. So, um, but for me, it's about picking upside later on in the draft. And sometimes people just don't, they take just standard players that, you know, this guy's not going to really jump off the page. And I'm sure, you know, maybe somebody looks at my rosters and says the same thing, who knows, but, uh, you know, that's what I'm trying to look for. You know, I'm trying to look for some upside and, you know, we, I think it's a new NFL now it's a younger man's game. Um, Justin Jefferson's a perfect example. I, I look back at the super board today, 
Theo and, you know, Justin Jefferson, I think we both passed on him in the 10th round or something. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we didn't know at the time, but those are the kind of things, those are the kind of things that can win you a league. Just picking that one guy right there and it can win the whole league for you. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It really, it really comes down to, um, it really comes down to, like you said, hitting on some of those high upside guys. It's not necessarily even, even the, the rookies these days. Um, you know, how many drafts could we have all just taken Stefan Diggs in the fifth round when he fell to some sixth rounds last year? Um, you know, it's like you, it's guys like Darren Waller, guys like Stefan Diggs. I mean, they, they really just, those league winners are, are, are so common across, you know, champions in NFFC and FFPC. Um, and yeah, it makes a, it makes a massive difference and, and go ahead, Dan, you were going to say something. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got, you know, just to kind of feed back on what you were talking about, um, you know, there's only so many league winning players and you know, what it really comes down to is how many of those you can get on your, your team. Uh, you know, it's, some of them are going to come during the draft but a lot of them are also just going to come, you know, throughout the season, you know, through waiver wire pickups and always staying active on the waiver wire, uh, which to Billy's point is why you don't really want to, uh, you know, get one of those guys who's going to give you, you know, like that, that floor, uh, you know, like maybe, uh, I don't know, um, you know, like a Gio Bernard, you know, he could pop, but, the odds are he might be more of a floor play. I mean, I guess it all depends on how you feel he's going to fit into that offense. But if you feel he's going to be just kind of chipping in like he was in uh, Cincinnati and be a guy who's a real, you know, like emergency stopgap, you might as well not take him in the draft because you're going to be able to find those guys pretty much all season long. Um, What you're looking for is that guy, you know, if you think he's going to be the new, you know, James White or something like that for Tom Brady, then that's where you want to say, yeah, I'm going to take Geo. So you could have, you know, two people who have completely different ideas about what Geo is. One of them should be taking him in the late rounds and the other one should, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think for me, um, over the years, I've tried to be a better drafter. And I think it's like, like Billy said, you want to have a lot of upside, um, but you can't be all upside guys. Um, <laughs> You know, you've got to be able to balance. You've got to be able to have guys that you can plug in early in the season. I think a lot of mistakes I see is you have guys who are drafting every single handcuff, um, and that's kind of like how they're filling their bench. And I, I think that, that that kind of hurts people a little bit because, you know, it comes to week four and five, you're starting to cuddle a couple of these guys you've drafted in maybe the ninth or tenth round, and, and it's kind of hard to catch up from some of those mistakes. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of ways to, to screw up your draft. Um, and, you know, people, people you know, make mistakes on the clock as well. I think that it's, it's difficult to, to not draft in June and July a little bit and then go up against a guy like, like Billy or a guy like Dan, um, you know, who's been drafting, you know, over and over again and not, you know, be comfortable when you're on the clock. Once in a while, you'll see a guy, you know, maybe it's first time in New York um, and, you know, he struggles a little bit. I think that, you know, even if it's just underdog drafts, get comfortable drafting, get comfortable making decisions when you're on the clock. Um, how Great are you attacking the one-off positions, uh, Billy? Do you, have a, do you have a general strategy on how you're attacking uh, tight end, quarterback, even team defense? Or do you kind of just kind of play it um, each team specific? Is it changing up or is it a general strategy? 
it changes up each draft. Um, for me, uh, the quarterback position is generally the position that I will take the quarterback when I don't like anything else. If there's just, especially in the NFFC when you're getting six points for a passing touchdown, it's there's nothing else I like. There's not a receiver, a running back. They all look the same, and I'm going to have a pick in like five more picks, and there's five guys on the board. I'm going to probably get one of them. Then that's where I might take the quarterback or even the tight end. I mean, truthfully, with the tight end, it's you know it's Kelsey Waller for me, and then it's down. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm not really interested in Kittle. I mean, I would take Hawkinson if he's in the right spot, and you know I guess I, I shouldn't say it. Hawkinson Andrews. I mean, Pitts is kind of in that. Pitts is starting to climb too much for me, um, but those guys are all in that one area too. The the Goddard fans. Um, who am I missing? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody in that out. tier, Logan Thomas. Uh, Logan Thomas, thank you. Yep. That tier, you know, it depends if where that is. And again, it's the same as the quarterback. If there's nothing there, then I'll take it. Um, where I don't feel like an extra receiver or running back is going to help my roster. But I don't really I, – I approach them all differently. You know, um, if I'm at the back of the draft and Kelsey's there at 11 or 12, I'll probably take him because I just think that's a good pick there. Um, I think he makes sense. Same with Waller if he falls to the third. But I don't reach for these guys at all. Um, I, I, I'm not going to reach for either one of them. Um, as far as the quarterback goes, rarely have Mahomes. Um, you know, if Josh Allen falls in the right spot, I'd take him. But other than that, you know, that that the Kyler Lamar uh, Dak zone is a pretty nice place to be. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes down to the running backs, the receivers, what's on the board. How about you, Dan? That's that's pretty much uh, sounds a lot like you with you know, when you don't like what's on board, you might you might attack that position with quarterback. And FFPC is a lot different for us with tight end, but is that would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, and honestly, I don't treat FFPC really any different as regards to tight end, other than uh, I'm more willing to roster more of them in the FFPC. Uh, you know, just because I can use them, you know, I could use up to three of my flex at, if I want to. But for the most part, um, in FFPC, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same as Billy. If I don't get one of those elite ones, I'm probably going to back way off tight end. And I, I might even back off even farther. I'm probably looking, uh, you know, to get down into the Grant, uh, Troutman, Kmet uh, tier like that. Because I feel like uh, some of those guys are probably going to do, as, you know, every bit as well as, a, you know, a Goddard or a Logan Thomas or whatever. It seems like those guys in the middle – uh, you know, that you're drafting in like rounds six through 10, never perform as well as the equivalent wide receivers or running backs that you could get in that, that spot. So I, I tend to go either early or late on tight end. And, and like Billy, yeah, quarterback is the, the one you take when you feel like you're stuck for where you need to go and there's still a good quarterback, then, it you know, that's the easy tiebreaker. You just – you take that elite quarterback. Uh, you know, last year it was really tough to win leagues if you didn't have elite quarterback play. Uh, you know, I noticed pretty much all of my league winners and, you know, and the league winners on, you know, leagues that I didn't win, pretty much every league winner had some kind of great quarterback play going on, whether it was Josh Allen or, you know, yeah. Mahomes or uh, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, you know, guys like that were just – absolutely critical to, to getting that good score every week and especially through the playoffs. So that was, you know, like if you had Russell Wilson, you were great early in the season, but your team probably fizzled down the stretch. Uh, you know, so you've got to, 
you got to find a way to continue those big quarterback weeks all the way through the season. Yeah, I think I think that's a great tip by Dan. Um, you know, I had a couple of teams last year that maybe were like nine and four type NFFC teams that really just lacked a top notch quarterback. I, I waited on quarterback on some of those teams, and um, mm-hmm. you know, it was really hard to play catch up. You might have you know two great running backs and two two great wide receivers, but you know you'd be going up against um, you know some of these Josh Allen types, and you know you're at a at a forty to twenty disadvantage to start out with that one position. So, yeah, I think um, I think regarding the quarterback position, um, I think that the market might be correcting itself a little bit. I think that, you know, some of these some of these guys are kind of they're not falling. I think that people are, are more willing to take guys maybe in the sixth round that I got in the eighth round a couple of years back. So I, I wonder if if this is a. Uh, this is a year where the hit rates might be might be stronger on on late round QB, um, or those you know Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Lamar tier guys. It's it's really an interesting debate, and I think you can build teams kind of both ways right now. Um, and I just want to harp back on one thing, uh, Billy, because you're not the only sharp player that's had some apprehension about George Kittle this year. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Um, I mean, I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple people rank him as the number two behind. Uh, Kelsey. And for me, it's a, you know, I, I think Darren Waller is just a beast. I mean, he just is, he's a beast. Derek Carr loves him. Um, the whole thing in San Francisco too, we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, whether it's Garoppolo or Lance and who they're going to, you know, who they're going to lock into. And let's be fair, George Kittle, I mean, Kelsey's, you know, knock on wood, he's healthy as it comes. Waller stays healthy. Kittle does not. I mean, that's Kittle does not. And to pay that late, you know, the NFFC, you're paying like a late third. Sometimes he slips to the fourth round. There's just better receivers there and running backs that I'd rather take a shot at. That's that's pretty much what it comes down for me. I just um, – he's a distant third. Let's put it that way. But is he your, he's your tight end three at this point, or is it kind of up in the air for you with the other guys you he, mentioned? He's my three, but um, he's, he's not far ahead of Hawkinson. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Hawkinson's yeah. pretty pretty close. Let's it's it's tight, and I, I you could it would not shock me at all if Hawkinson had a better year than him. Wouldn't shock me one bit. No, yeah. I'd, I'd agree on that. Um, and then while we're on tight ends, what, what's your you you mentioned you thought Kyle Pitts was um going a little too high for you. What's your thoughts on on Pitts this season? Um, I, I'm generally not, especially rookie tight ends, and I get, and I get it. This, I mean, he, there is more hype on him than I, you know, you can even like. It's like Calvin Johnson hype at the tight end position, and I realize he's probably not going to be a like a true tight end, you know, lining up on in, on the line and everything else. He's probably not going to block at all. He's probably going to play a lot more receiver, so he's going to have some options. I do, I do admit, hundred percent, he's probably going to get a hundred, hundred and ten targets somewhere in that ballpark, maybe even higher than that. Um, I just, I want to see it, I guess, more first, uh, before it happens. And he's not a guy, you know, in the NFFC, he's going, I think early fifth, somewhere in that ballpark. It depends what's there again. If, if the receivers I really like there, cause I'm kind of picky at that term with the receivers. I like it. If they're not there. Yeah. Maybe I'll take a shot and I'm sure I'm going to have a share or two of him, but I'm just not as, uh, I'm, I'm just probably not as enamored as everybody else. And all I think it's going to take is, uh, some preseason games, where he like takes a swing pass or something and takes it 80 yards down and he's going to shoot up to like the fourth round or the early late third. And that's just going to be a little too rich for me. Yeah. And yeah. with Hawkinson, I think, you know, one of the, he's, he's one of those guys who 
you know, if he if it plays out like I think it will, he's going to work a little bit better in the FFPC format anyway because I think he's probably going to have a lot of volume but not so many touchdowns. And, you know, in the in the NFFC, I'd rather get those touchdowns and I'm a little bit less concerned about the receiving volume if the touchdowns are flowing. Uh, but in the FFBC, when you get that that extra half point per reception, you know, and that's that's where a lot of people kind of fall down on the FFBC is they they over prioritize the touchdowns and they don't pay enough attention to uh, the the receptions that the tight ends getting. So you get, you know, like a guy like Tanyan last year, uh, you know, wasn't as good in the FFPC as you'd like to think that he was because he just, you know, his his score was depressed compared to some of the other tight ends because he was only getting, you know, one, two, three catches a game, uh, you know, versus somebody, a tight end who was getting, you know, like five or six catches a game uh, that, that really, you know, if he didn't get that touchdown, he was in trouble basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had this conversation with um, another player who I really respect um, today, actually. Um, and I'm, I kind of come around on Kyle Pitts. I, I really like him. Um, I wish I had a little bit more of him. I have a lot in Dynasty, but um, in redraft so far, I haven't been able to get him. But what it really comes down to, to me, is in FFPC, um, you know, you've got to be willing to take him at, at the 2-3 turn, which is just, it's just too much for me at this point. Um, you'd be passing on, you know, A.J. A. Brown, D, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, um, you know, guys like that in order to take, um, you know, pits and, you know, it's just that's just too hard for me to do. I think if if I can get him in the middle of the third, I th- I think that that's that's good for me. But um, it's just not happening. He's he's starting to go higher and higher, and I think he's a player this year where there's so much buzz that no matter how much you like him, someone in your league likes him more. So it's um he's definitely a difficult player to gauge right now. Um, you know, like Billy said in regards to the targets, um. I'm with you. I think 100 to 125. But if it if if I'm if I'm off and it ends up being 135, 140 targets, then he could win league. So it's a yeah. it's a really hard player to gauge right now. Um, but again, it's just I can't I can't take him over DK Metcalf. I just even if I'm wrong, it's just I just can't do it at this point. So it would just make me sick. So um, yeah, um, it's definitely one of the more interesting players we've seen. Um, you know, ever in fantasy. I mean, a rookie, a rookie going this high um, at a at a one-off position. It's 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 very exciting. Um, He's what are your thoughts? Re- re- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Billy. No, real quick. I, what I was going to say is, it sounds like in the FFPC, he's he doesn't have a big spread. He's probably he's like you said, he's around that two-three turn. I mean, mm-hmm. NFFC. I've seen him go with the three-four turn, and I've seen him last till the sixth round. And the draft I was in. I was I was like in the middle to end. I was like I was pick eight in the sixth round. He went at pick six five. Now I would have taken him there. Like that's different, but you know, yeah, but that's sure. a that's a that's a huge spread. I mean, that's just you know, yeah. There's a big think, gap, so he's all over the place right now. See, I I, I just don't understand how he goes in front of Hawkinson, uh, you know, in the FFBC, because again, I think you know Hawkinson is is in a role where he should see a lot of volume, given the turnover at wide receiver in Detroit. And, you know, and he's also got, you know, he's, he's into his what third year now. So, you know, he's starting to, you know, really put things together. Whereas Pitts has got to, you know, he's got to get the position figured out. He's going into an offense that already has some established receivers. 
you know, I just I have a hard time imagining that Pitts is going to have more targets than uh, Hawkinson. And even if he can be more efficient than Hawkinson, which maybe he can, maybe he can't. But, I mean, you know, it's not like Hawkinson is a, you know, a terrible athlete in his own right. So, you know, I, I just have a hard time seeing anything other than Hawkinson having a pretty bad year and Pitts having an exceptional year uh, for Pitts to actually outscore Hawkinson, you know, and for the fact that he's going in front of Hawkinson all the time in the FFPC. Uh, are you seeing in the NFFC, Billy, are you seeing him go all the time in front of Hawkinson or is it kind of a little more back and forth there? It's pretty much, I would say 90% of the time he's going ahead of him. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, Dan. I mean, I'm just going to take, I think, I think um, TJ Hawkinson was drafted ninth or 10th overall. Wasn't I think he was maybe even, he may have been eighth or, or, or maybe eighth. Um, I mean, yeah, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about some, slouch here i mean he's a, yeah. he's a very good player uh has great pedigree he's got the tools he's got everything you're looking for in a tight end now the quarterback thrown to him that's a whole different thing but uh right i i, I agree 100 danny i think he's he's gonna get a ton of volume in that offense just be lack because of the lack of receivers they have mainly mm-hmm. he's just gonna be a big target for golf yep yeah i'll take a neutral position I, I i think there's a chance they both hit very well this year um i think that I think this is a year where obviously there's going to be situations where it doesn't work out based on the draft, but it's a year I would like to have a top tight end. I think it's, I think it's going to be an advantage again this year. And, you know, I, I think that Hawkinson's going to have 135 plus targets. And I think he'll, I think he'll have a very, very good year. There's hardly any competition for him among the wide receivers there. I mean, one of those guys is going to end up being useful, but there are a bunch of Jags in Detroit right now. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know Hawkinson could could absolutely hit and Pitts could. Um, what what is your take on this rookie rookie class as a, as a whole? We have a lot of dynasty listeners, uh, Billy. Um, I'd love to hear your take on some guys that you think are going to hit this year, and maybe a couple guys that you just are very bullish on their careers. Um, we had Chris Vaccaro on the show earlier in the offseason. Um, he he had said that you know Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts were two of the best prospects he's ever seen at their positions. Um, what, what are what are your takes on this class? Is there any guys that really stand out? So Chris went out on a pretty big limb there is what you're saying. He absolutely <laughs> did. And, and this was in, in regards to this. Is, this is before the uh, – I believe this was before the draft, correct, Dan? Um, I, I, think I, it, I think it was after, but okay. it was not long after. So we were still kind of fueling our way a little bit. But, yeah, those are the – those players are, you know, they're they're pretty safe bets. Yeah, Absolutely. no, obviously, I'm just joking around. Chris yeah. is obviously a phenomenal player, um, but Chase and Pitts are they are they're generational talents from everything we're seeing. Um, I mean, if I just went down by position, like a quarterback, the guy that I'm most intrigued by, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence will be good. I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine down the road. But out of all the quarterbacks, Justin Fields is the one. That I'm really keeping an eye on, just because of that. I mean, he's got the he's got the whole package. He's got the rushing ability. He's accurate. If they can just build some things around him, maybe get Matt Nagy out of town would be really great because then they could really let him loose. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, he's the guy that I you know I think and again I don't play Dynasty, but I he would be a guy I would be targeting. I think he's got some uh, a really bright future. Um, the running backs, you know, for this year. I got, I'm probably I'm not sure how you guys feel about him. I am I'm a Steeler fan, by the way, but I uh, I am not a Najee Harris fan this year. 
Uh, not where he's going. Let me let me put it that way. I think he's going to like eighth or ninth, tenth overall. I have him down at like 16, 15, 16. He's down there a little ways. And my reasons are the Steelers' offensive line is horrendous. I mean, it, it's bad. And I just don't trust Ben Roethlisberger to stay healthy this year. And when he's not healthy, you know, you either got Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins, and neither one of them are inspire a whole lot of confidence. And um, now I do, and I will say this about Najee, he's going to get volume. There's no question about that. He stays healthy. He's almost a lock for 300 touches in that offense. Um, you know, just going on the list, ETN, ETN's exciting. He's very exciting in that offense with, with Trevor there and, you know, the, what, how they want to use him and he's playing receiver and all this other stuff. He could be exciting. You know, James Robinson, I, it's, I, I'll, I can talk about him a little, a little later. Um, Javante Williams, that's one I think down the road could be very good. But this year, I'm, I am worried about Melvin Gordon. I don't think Melvin Gordon's just going to go away. I think it's going to be a little more, he's going to, a little more resistance than we think there. And I think it could be more of a 50 50. And by the time you want Javante, it, it might be a little bit too late. Maybe your team, you know, I don't think he's going to be great early on. And I know he has a great schedule out of the gate. Um, and then the two other guys, you know, the, the two other running backs, Carter and Sermon, they're they're like rocketing up the boards. And, you know, they're both guys that I like a lot. I mean, I think Trey Sermon could be really special if they just gave him the gig. You know, we know Shanahan likes to shuffle in running backs. I don't trust Raheem Mostert at all. So uh, I'm a Trey Sermon guy. Uh, and Michael Carter's obviously he's got he's re- receiving. And, you know, for running backs, it's all about it's all about opportunity. I mean, it's, it's getting the opportunity. And he's got. You know, if he can beat Tevin Coleman and Michael, Michael P. Ryan out, which shouldn't be too difficult, I think he's got a nice future as well. Um, receivers, other than Chase, you know, Devonta Smith, I'm not as high on Devonta Smith as other people are. I'm a little worried about Jalen Hurts there uh, with his passing. I think he's going to run a lot. I think Jalen's the type of guy, much like Lamar was his first year or second year, you know, he rolls out, he looks, he doesn't see anybody five yards open, which doesn't really happen in the NFL, and he's going to take off and run, which he's an athlete. He's athletic. He can do that. Um, I, I do think Devonta Smith's going to be the target. I mean, he's going to be the guy in that offense. I just don't think he's going to be as good as where people are taking him right now. Um, but he, I think during the future, as long as he can stay upright, I mean, he's, what is he, 170 pounds? I mean, he's, he's a twig. Um, but my, one of my favorite receivers, um, <laughs> and I know you're a fan, Theo, um, I love Rondell Moore too. Rondell Moore is, uh, he is the ultimate weapon for that team. When they took him, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like the perfect compliment for, for Kyler. You know, you get Rondell and you got it. Now you got AJ Green there, which, you know, I think AJ Green will be a good veteran experience, um, veteran presence there for them. And of course you have Hopkins. I mean, Kyler's set up for a good, good situation this year. And I think Rondell could be really special in the future, down the future. And um, at tight end, you know, other than Pitts, it's just Pat Fryermuth, who I think is going to be excellent. He was fantastic. He's a great blocker, which is what uh, you know the Steelers need. But I think he's I think he's a little underrated as a pass catcher too. And I think I don't think it'll be this year, of course, but I think down the road he's going to be a decent tight end for for uh, Dynasty. Just one other player you didn't touch on. Um, your thoughts on Elijah Moore? <laughs> Well, everybody else's thoughts are he's like the greatest thing since sliced bread right now. I mean, he's another one. He's just getting so much hype. It's like you're getting to the point where 
you're going to be drafting him at his max. I mean, um, I think he's got the, I think he's got the potential. I mean, again, he's in a situation. There's no, there's no clear cut alpha there. You know, Corey Davis could be okay. I mean, he should be okay. I mean, I, I still like Denzel Mims. I think Denzel Mims is a very big, good talent. Just it's something's not translating there. Um, you know, they brought Crowder back, which was really that kind of, I thought that would dampen the Elijah Moore hype and it didn't. <laughs> It hasn't at all. People just kick Crowder the curb, and you know Elijah Moore's the guy. So I, I think he could be good, though. I mean, from everything I've seen, he's pretty solid. I, I will say I'm very happy that I loaded up on Elijah Moore very early in the in the draft season, mostly before the NFL draft, and uh, and then for you know about a month afterwards, you know he still really hadn't ticked up that much. And then once rookie minicamp started, that's when he really started ticking up and. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of nice to be in a position where I could slack off and just let, you know, other people chase him on up. And I've already got a pretty good exposure to him. And then, you know, we'll see where his ADP goes. I mean, it might dip back down again later. And if it does, you know, he's somebody I'd get back in on. But uh, where he's at right now, he's he's a little bit tough to draft, I think. Yeah. I really would have liked to seen Rashad Bateman go to a different team, oh, a team where if he could have gone to like, I know there were rumors of Kansas city. I'm like, Oh, please. That would be beautiful. Cause I think he could have been really, I think, and I do think he's a great receiver. I just think he's in the wrong spot. <laughs> I mean, Baltimore is like where receivers go to die for the most part. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, putting Arnold Schwarzenegger on a starvation diet, telling him to go out and win a weightlifting championship. <laughs> Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, he's, he's just going to be too sour for targets, I think, unless that Baltimore offense changes into something that just, you know, nobody really thinks it's going to be. So I'm just thinking uh, about how we'd be drafting Rashad Bateman in the sixth round right now if, uh, if, uh, if gee, we'd be going nuts. Um, but well, I mean, Elijah Moore's interesting. Like fourth round. <laughs> I, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was, you, we'd be convincing ourselves um, on, a, on a lot with him right now. But yeah, I mean, Elijah Moore's interesting. It's um, you know, I can I can see both sides of the coin. I think that um, people are getting him because I think he's going to have a role. And I I know that it's kind of a crowded wide receiver situation, but um, to me, he kind of stands out as as a guy with maybe the best uh, profile. Um, I think Corey Davis is a very good NFL player in terms of like he's a very good blocker. He's a capable receiver. Um, they paid him a lot of money, but. Um, he doesn't scare me, you know, as a, as a wide receiver one. Um, I think Elijah Moore could be, could be good. And I think that, you know, when people were getting him like Dan was in the 11th round, I think that that is absolutely going to pay off. Whether he can pay off at an eighth or ninth round value, which is where he's heading, that'll be interesting. Um, but I, I do like him a lot. And, yeah, I'm with you, Billy. I, I think Rondell Moore, um, I've been taking him in the 12th round um, as, a, as a target of mine. Like you said, when you get to that back half of the draft, you want to you want to swing for upside, and the guy certainly has that. Um, he's gonna, I think he's a guy that's gonna get manufactured touches, and I think the fact that AJ Green and Christian Kirk are around it kind of depresses his value a little bit. Um, I think that there's a scenario where where Rondell has a really good rookie year, and I think that um, he's a guy I want to have on the back half of my roster for sure. Uh, and yeah, I think that. It's a it's a perfect landing spot because they'll play for a right. wide receiver all the time and he can play the slot. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, getting back to just the draft so far, with, with regards to this this current um, ADP and and 
just the drafts in general. Do you have a favorite structural build of how you, you've been attacking these drafts? Do you like your teams when you go running back, running back? Do you like your teams, you know, like you mentioned, you took Travis Kelsey when he's there around 11. Do you think that there's a, there's a formula or is it something you're going, you know, draft specific? It's draft specific for me. And a lot of it depends on where I'm at in the draft. You know, what position I have. Like if I, if I start with the one and I have McCaffrey, I'm a lot more daring to just say I'm taking McCaffrey and then I'm going to blast four receivers out in a row and just load up. Now that strategy would have been horrible last year because McCaffrey went down and, and the best, the best teams I've ever had have had one stud running back and four receivers, four really solid receivers on them. So I will do that strategy a lot when I can, I have a very hard time, um, I have a very hard time passing on the elite, elite wide receivers. And what I mean by elite, I'm talking about like the top five going down to like Ridley, you know, Devontae, even Devontae Adams, even the situation with Rodgers right now, Ridley, Adams, Hopkins, Diggs, and, you know, Hill. I have a hard time passing on those guys in the second round for like running back 10. So I would generally will take those guys, but you know, I've drafted a couple teams and I went running back, running back because the receivers are pretty decent once you get to the three, four, five, you know, even the sixth round sometimes. So it, it all depends. I don't really have a specific build that I try to do. Um, I try to stay as balanced as possible, especially when you're in a, especially when you're in a, um, a, a tougher league. I think it, or, or excuse me, not a tough, when you're in a league with it's a little more loose. I think it's best to stay balanced because it allows you to take certain positions. Where you know if you already have three running backs, and a fourth one just falls in your lap it's really hard to take them when you need receivers and a tight end and a quarterback. So for me, I like to try to stay as balanced as possible, but I've, I've done, I know the strategy you did the other lap whenever we drafted a week ago, I loved what you did there. And I've done that strategy plenty of times and I hope it works. Um, it's cause I've done it too. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough hoe because you got to get those running backs, right? Um, but if you hit the running, if you hit those receivers and the tight end and the quarterback, you know, if you, all you need is a little bit of luck. Uh, I did that, what, three, no, uh, three years ago in the uh, New York Super, I did that. I didn't take any running backs early, and I hit James Conner in the 11th round. Well, there you go. I mean, and that's what people do, I think, a lot with that strategy is they do that. It's just, it's hard to hit James Conner in the 11th round all the time. But uh, I I love the strategy. I've done that plenty where I'll just say, I'm I'm taking four receivers. I'm just taking four right out of the gate. I don't care. I'm just going to do it. Uh, but generally I try to stay as balanced as I can just so I can take certain positions if they come to me and I don't feel like I'm strapped because, you know, if you take four receivers and then you, something really good falls to you in the fifth and it's like, Oh my gosh, he's sitting there. It's hard to start your team with five straight receivers. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a zero RB guy all the time. I mean, but when it, when it presents itself, I'm not afraid to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, in that particular draft, I'm picking in the 11 hole. Um, you know, I'm not trying to finish fifth. So I, I'm, I'm trying to go for, for max upside with that build, build. And I think it's if you're willing to take on a little bit of risk with that build, like you said, if you can hit on a couple of these running backs, um, then that team is going to be a monster. If I don't hit on any of them, then I'm, I'm finishing, you know, well behind the pack. But, um, you know, I'm also more, more apt to do that um, if I'm going to draft with, with guys like you and Nelson Souza where, you know, I, I, I want to take some shots and I want to give myself the chance, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go up against running back one and running back, you know, seven with, you know, running back 12 and running back 20 and just kind of, 
try to play catch up every week. So I think it's a, it's an interesting way to do it. Um, have some of your very successful teams in the past. Um, do you recall, you know, how the, the builds or is it kind of, it pretty much changes every single draft? Yeah. I mean, some of the best teams I've had, I, I started, they generally started with like a, like I had the, in the FPC in 2013, I finished second overall and I had uh, Jamal Charles. That was his monster year when he had 70 catches or whatever. Um, but I know I had Josh Gordon and I think I, I think I went, I think I went, I didn't have a good tight end that year. I remember that. Um, no, sorry. Yes, I did. I had Tony Gonzalez, my bad, but, uh, I had pretty good. Know, yeah, he was very good. He actually won. He was a Monday night game, and I was sweating it out, and I got second. I jumped from fourth to second. That was actually the year that Dwayne McFarland had two teams in the top five. He had teams three and four, and I had two. And um, if Sean Coots, the guy who won it, he changed his lineup five minutes before. He switched from the Arizona defense. He took Arizona's defense out and put the Patriots in. And Joe Flacco threw two pick sixes, two, in the last two minutes. Had he not changed it, I win the two hundred fifty thousand. But oh. that's a tough that's a tough beat. But you know it happens. I was happy to win the the I think it was forty grand at the time or something. It was nice. It was good. But um, going back to what you were saying is the receiver. I generally those teams have one quarterback, and then I think out of my next five picks, I'd probably have four receivers. So it was just loading up on that one running back, and then you know trying to throw the darts at running back too. And I think I had like Joyke Bell, which if you remember Joyke Bell, he oh, wasn't yeah. hor- he wasn't horrible the one year. He he was okay. I mean, he had his moments, and he was he was a fine number two with all everything I had. And the other thing that I've learned too is, um, you know, drafting sometimes after the Thursday game can be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I drafted that was the year that Peyton Manning threw the six touchdowns against the Ravens. And I don't know if you remember this, Eric Decker was the only player on the Ravens who had or excuse me the Broncos who had a horrible game. He dropped the touchdown pass, and he he was going like early third round. He fell to the fifth, mm-hmm. and people re, the people's reactions to that game are just baffling to me. It's baffling. I mean, so uh, but most of my builds generally are, are one strong running back with the, the with the stud four receivers, and again, it doesn't always work, and you know, but those are the historically those are my best teams. Yeah, when you can get uh, you know. It, People in drafts who are taking Peyton Manning, you know, first overall, second overall, third overall, you know, on the basis of six touchdown passes. I mean, you know, yeah, it's nice to win week one, but, you know, you have to play the rest of the season, too. And and Decker was such a value. Yeah. Is Do you have a preferred draft slot or are you comfortable drafting in a number of positions right now? I'm, I'm comfortable wherever and you know that's what i do love about the nffc is you do have a say in it at least you have a choice so far a lot of my drafts i've not had very good luck i'm like you know choice order nine ten i'm like <laughs> i'm hoping it changes because the i don't know if you remember for the new york super last year i was last out of the hat which i got my you know last pick and that was okay it worked out for me i did okay but um so for me it really doesn't matter i think you can make a build from anywhere um it's all about that, you know, I really don't focus on the first player as much as I do, you know, round. I kind of try to see where the pockets are and where people are falling. And, you know, it's about comparable players. And you're only hoping for one guy to be there. You don't need two or, you know, two or three. It's just when everybody gets sniped in front of you and then you're, like you said, you got a minute to figure it out. And mm-hmm. the people who have done it before, they can, they're calling a lot, they can do it. 
Um, but uh, I, I don't have a preferred draft slot per se. I, not right now. It's hard for me to tell. I don't mind the back. It's kind of, you know, three RR, you get that early third round pick. And I think there's, you know, I think there's about 27 players I like. So you, anywhere, you know, 12, 11, 10, you're going to get one of, you're going to get three of those guys anyway, right now. So, yeah. Dan, do you have a preferred uh, slot right now or you kind of? In NFFC, yeah, definitely. I like the back end, you know, or if you can't get the back end, uh, you know, I'll take the one or two slot as well uh, because it's it's pretty tough to mess up the draft if you're starting off with uh, McCaffrey or uh, Dalvin Cook. And, you know, if they play like, you know, we expect them to play, you've got a huge advantage on that first round pick and most likely. And then you just need to, you know, be solid in your second, third rounds, and you're going to be just fine. Uh, but, but as Billy said, I mean, there's, you know, you can build a good team from anywhere and it, it just is a matter of practice. And also, you know, uh, just looking at other draft boards and seeing what other people are doing and using that to kind of help you figure out, you know, what, it, it, you know, like I had a, I, I had a draft from the, the eight slot that I didn't particularly love, you know, and then I, after that, you know, I'm looking at other drafts, you know, what were people doing in the eight slot or, the, you know, that was different than me. I got some ideas. Oh yeah. You know, here's some different ways I could build that, that are going to make a little more sense than what I ended up with. So uh, just being able to, you know, to learn as you go and get plenty of practice or at least, uh, you know, be reviewing plenty of draft boards so you can see what's possible. That way you don't, you know, as Billy said, you know, sometimes you get, you know, you, you have three or four targets lined up and they go bang, 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 bang right in front of you. And all of a sudden you're like scrambling around. you got to figure out what am I going to do? And you've got 60 seconds to do it. So it's a lot easier if you've been doing it before. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Um, You know, I, I obviously I, I like I like the one two spot. Um, I especially like it in FFPC, but in, in NFFC, I'm, I'm not afraid to have that that run with the with the uh, third round reversal um but nffc i'm 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 a sucker for the, the back end I, I like to i like to have that early third round pick yeah. i think it, you can build a real monster that way um but you know i think that if you do get stuck with with one of the middle of the first round picks um the the one great argument to it is you won't ever ever miss a run um you're, you're kind of right there every round so um I think that, you know, with all these leagues, you know your draft slot ahead of time, and I think it gives you time to prepare, and, and there's different ways to skin a cat, um, so to speak, in, in, in drafting. And um, I think you just need to get comfortable drafting in, in, in any particular spot. Um, here's, a, here's kind of a, a, a real specific question. You know, a lot of people are going to ask you, you know, what do you think of this guy, and, you know, how do you attack these rounds? But how do you build a bench is there a particular way, way you want to build your bench structurally? Um, you know, are you looking for those top-notch handcuffs? Um, do you like to carry a second quarterback? Do you have some philo- some philosophies on how you like to have your bench um, in in these NFFC teams, Billy? Um, it all it, it's it all depends. Every draft's going to be different. It depends on what I started with and what I have from there. I mean, there's certain players. I'm not a huge handcuff guy. Um, there's certain guys I would do it. Dalvin Cook is definitely one of them. If I had Dalvin Cook, I'm getting Alexander Madison because I just Dal, Dalvin Cook. I mean, I don't know the last time he's played 16 games. I don't think he ever has played 16 games. Um, but it's nice to have somebody like that. Um, you know, Kamara and Murray is a good one too. There's there's a few of them there here and there, but um, I'll normally 
my bench is just generally, like I said, a lot of it's going for upside. I will. It, it depends on what I have. I did take. I took Cam Akers the other day, and I'm not a. I'm not a huge Cam Akers fan. I'm. I'm I don't know. I'm. I think there's just other guys I like more. But I made sure I got Darrell Henderson. You know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. and I, I like Darrell Henderson anyway by, by himself. Um, but uh, I'm probably not answering the question the way you're when you went to me. No, you I, asked I mean, it. pretty much anything. Anything in regards to a bench. We're just trying to pick your brain on this one. So. Yeah, I mean, it depends every draft. I don't have a specific strategy when I go in. You know, I generally am a guy who lets – I take what falls to me, you know. So if something's there and it's a guy who will – I'm like, you know, I'm kind of off on it. You mentioned earlier about pits. You know, if we're wrong about pits, we're, you know, people are going to benefit from that. And there's guys where I, I might not like them per se, but I'm like, you know, now let me take them this draft. So sometimes I'll take some shots. and yeah, I do enough teams I can do that. Um for somebody who's doing one or two teams, I think it is beneficial if you have to cover some of your players. Um, I generally do take a second quarterback just because I I got burned so bad on Dak last year, and <laughs> that just it you know it stings. So and I and I did it last year too, but you know you're taking Dak and we took Goff. I'm like, oh, well, Goff will be fine. No, Goff's not fine. So, um, so. Uh, I do take a second quarterback, but I think a lot of the things with the second quarterback, I think you're going for definitely for upside on those guys. Um, you want guys who can run. Obviously, this is turning into – obviously, the NFL is turning into a quarterback. It's a running – you know, you want running quarterbacks. So if you can get one of those guys that run, that's that's definitely beneficial. Like I don't think a Ben Roethlisberger is a great backup this year at all. Um, I want a guy who can run. So. Yeah, and and to your point, Billy, uh, you know, I I I'll, I also had a couple of NFFC teams derailed by attack uh, and not having a good backup, and I think in the NFFC it's a lot more important to have a backup and a good one right. than it is yeah. in the FFPC. In the FFPC, I can pretty much always find something on the waiver wire. In the right. NFFC, I find it's more like, yeah, you're you're really you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, you can almost always find a starter, um, but you're, you're going to be bleeding a lot of points at the quarterback position most weeks. If you're, if you're scraping around that bottom of the barrel in the NFFC. And I've tried to, I've tried sometimes to take, you know, even like you look like five weeks out and you have three guys and you're saying, Oh, this is a great matchup for them. This is a great matchup for them. I found it just normally doesn't work. Just stick with the one guy that's your guy. Don't try to get cute. Just don't get cute because I've done that before and I try to beat the system and it just doesn't work. Um, you know, like you said, Dan, especially in the NFFC, with that six points, you're going to get crushed if you don't have a decent quarterback. It, it's just you're, it's, you're giving up so many points every week to somebody else and it, you're, really, you're really behind the eight ball. Yep. Tough to make them back for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, I think, Billy brings up a great point is even the sharpest guy, you know, even the analyst that you think is, is the best at predicting things. It gets so difficult um, when it comes to streaming quarterbacks. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to pick between, you know, two guys and, you know, maybe their quarterback, you know, 10 through 14 type guys and continually pick the, the right one. The NFL things do not always go as, as you plan. And it, it's difficult. It's yeah. difficult, definitely difficult. Um, do you just getting back to this? Do you, so, do you like to to carry, um, you know, other people's handcuffs and maybe you know a couple third down backs? Is, is there a you know specific 
kind of value guys you're looking for on, on your bench or is it just kind of value as it comes? It's value as it comes, but I, I you know, I kind of mix that up a little bit. I, I, you know, I like Devonta Booker this year. I mean, Barkley's, you know, obviously he's, he had all his injuries, his injury last year. And he, while he looks great right now, you know, not that Devonta Booker is going to be a league winner. I, I don't think he would be, but he could be definitely be serviceable if you're going to be using him, you know, something like that. So sometimes I'll look at some of the starters that I just don't feel really as comfortable with that I wouldn't want on my team. And I'd say, hey, well, if they have a backup who can pretty much do it all. And, you know, you like to get guys that at least can catch the football. Like mm-hmm. you don't want guys that just are plotters and aren't going to catch the football at all. You want something, somebody who has a little bit of upside to them. Uh, but I will take some third down backs every now and then, you know, like a James White or a Gio Bernard or something like that. I think it's it's not a bad thing to have on your roster if you need it in a pinch. I certainly wouldn't want to rely on it for a couple weeks, you know, two or three weeks, because I just don't, you know, James White, not James White three years ago or whatever he was three years ago, he was phenomenal. Um, but uh, generally those guys that don't get any carries and are just specific role players where the third round, third down backs, they're not the, the guys that I normally go after. Um, I'm normally looking for somebody that could have a little bit bigger of a role in the, in the offense. Dan, how about, how about you? Is there, is there a way you've been, you know, you attack with your bench or are you just trying to, like Billy said, kind of mix up with, with value and upside guys? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, ideally I'd like to, you know, if I, if I have my ideal draft, I have two running backs. I feel real good about I feel good about my wide receivers and I feel good about my flex or flexes, depending on which, uh, which format we're talking about. And if I've got those, then, you know, a lot of what I'm going to do in the later rounds is just trying to hit home runs, you know, and get that upside. If I'm less confident, like I don't feel real good about my running back two, or I don't really feel like I have anybody that I feel real confident in for my flex, I'm more likely to take guys who might, you know, kind of slide up to that role, but maybe not exceed it. Uh, you know, just to just to have one or two more options. Uh, you know, early in the season while we're trying to figure things out, because you know, a lot of times early in the season, you're still trying to figure out exactly you know, what your base lineup is going to be, you know, at least on the back end of that roster. And, you know, and I also like to have some guys where I'm going to know real quick what's going on with them, you know, yeah. like it, what, you know, if I'm not sure about a guy's role uh, and I can get him cheap, I'll go ahead and grab him. And then I look in week one and if, if I see him getting touches, then I'm probably going to hang on to him for a couple of weeks. But if I see him, you know, pulling a, you know, an Eno Benjamin last year, just to, you know, name a player that a lot of people were on and who did, you know, nothing. I mean, you know, he got zero touches after one week. That tells you what you need to know, you know, drop him and move on to somebody else who is getting touches. You know, there's, there's no sense hanging on trying to wait for Eno Benjamin to, you know, get his first three touches in game in week six or whatever. Uh, just doesn't make any sense. So that's kind of the way I like to play it. Uh, I, I do like getting other people's handcuffs if it's a clear handcuff. You know, for me, the handcuff thing is, it, you know, Billy kind of alluded to it, but you want somebody who's going to be a strong handcuff that you feel real confident is going to get the job and run with it rather than somebody who's just kind of going to get thrust into that role by default because those are the guys you really worry about that they're going to get, uh, you know, either the touches are going to get fuzzed out or they're just going to 
simply get replaced by, you know, a street free agent or something because they're just not happy with how things are going. So uh, I try to stay out of those kind of handcuffed situations. Yeah, I, I think that um, you you both had had great points. Um, Billy on uh, Devonte Booker, who's actually somebody we've talked about here in the Goat District for for months now. If you don't believe Saquon is at full health, which a lot of people don't, then how is he not a guy you're adding on your roster? I mean, even in these these drafts that we're in, he's going in the 18th round. He costs you absolutely nothing, and right. if we're wrong, you can cut him. Uh, and I think that one lesson that I learned last year um, is I want to look at guys that are not necessarily the trendiest handcuffs. The you know everybody wants to have Tony Pollard, everybody wants to have Lat Murray. A lot of people love AJ Dillon, but those guys cost you a lot. But if you look down um, and you identify these guys like a potential Mike Davis um, that would receive very similar volume to the running back they're replacing. I think those are great, great value guys. And if you analyze the Giants roster right now, it's it's Devontae Booker. If Saquon's out, Devontae Booker's gonna get fifteen plus touches every single mm-hmm. week. So I think that's a great one. I think you can you can identify other guys like that. Um, and then with regards to a point that Dan made about we the NFL NFL coaches don't don't tell the truth, but week one we find out so much. Um, I think week one is almost always the most valuable waiver wire run. And I think week one is, a, is also a time where people maybe might ignore the, the volume and just kind of say, oh, it was, it was week one. It's going to change up. Um, a lot of sharp waiver wire people were, or excuse me, a lot of sharp, um, you know, sharp players hit the waiver wire after week one and were able to get Miles Gaskin for maybe a 5% bid a 3% bid, um, you know, definitely less than a 10% bid. And they got a running back who had, uh, what was it, about uh, about 10 or 11 usable weeks, Dan? Um, so yeah. I, I think that, you know, that week one, it, it cannot be overlooked. Um, week one tells us so much. Um, it's A lot of times it's time to abandon ship, and a lot of times it's time to grab those guys off the wire Um the best waiver wire guys of the last couple of years, the DJ Sharks, the Terry McLaurins, um, those guys hit week one, and, you know, people better paid attention. So that was a great one. Um, both, both Great points from both of you guys. Um, getting back to a, a dynasty-specific question, um, and, and it touches on redraft, Billy. Um, you mentioned Cam Akers. Um, you know, we've talked about Jonathan Taylor. Um, this sophomore running back class – is just so loaded. Um, how do you look at the, at the at that group of guys um, for for this year in redraft? And how do you look at these guys? Um, you know, for for their careers. You know, specifically the Clyde Edwards Hilaires, the Antonio Gibsons, uh, the Cam Makers. How, how do you view that class right now, Billy? Um, I mean, so if you kind of just go in order of like ADP down the list, you know, Jonathan Taylor is. You know, he'd be the first one. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people love Jonathan Taylor. I've seen Jonathan Taylor go number two overall in drafts. Um, not read not dynasty drafts. I'm talking just managed leagues. He's going number two overall. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. He was phenomenal at the end of the year last year. He's got a great offensive line. He's he's going to be the guy. There's some people worried about Marlon Mack. I, I get that. I, I don't think Mack's going to take a ton from him. I still think they, they have a lot invested in Taylor. They know what he can do. 
he had a phenomenal catch rate last year. I think he dropped two passes or missed like it's like forty three or forty six or something, something ridiculous. So he yeah. can catch the football. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, uh, he's he's one. He's probably like the top guy. Um, you know, Antonio Gibson's a real big buzz guy. I would love Antonio Gibson if I just knew that toe was fine. And the toe really concerns me. Um, just because anytime there's a foot injury to any player, especially a running back or receiver, that's a problem because they can't run on it. Um, but if that toe is better, Antonio Gibson's got oodles of upside. I mean, it was what was amazing to me last year is they just did not really throw him the football nearly as much as they could have. He was that was his thing at Memphis. I mean, in the NFFC, he was a wide receiver. That was his yeah. designation. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's how good he was, and they really didn't do it. And but he just picked up the running game just like that. And you know, with that line, the Washington has a really good offensive line. They got a great defense. It all falls into place. Um, so I think those two would be the two that are the ones you really going forward. Um, I like Ceh a lot this year. I liked him last year. You know, he kind of was disappointing. He wasn't. He wasn't awful. Like people were making him sound like he was just this huge, huge disappointment. He was a disappointment when you took him in the top five after you know top five or six. Then he was a disappointment. But if you got him early, earlier, and he was in the third round, he wasn't awful, awful. He was, he, he was disappointing, but he wasn't like a. It's you know a total strikeout. I think he could be solid. Um, I think DeAndre Swift talent wise is up there with all of them. If he could be the top of the crew, be quite honestly, I think he's got a great opportunity. My biggest concern with him is his concussions. I do worry about that. That one he had last year, I think it kept him out three weeks, which generally doesn't happen. Um, they might've just been saying, playing a little safe with him as well. I'm a big JK Dobbins guy. I like him. Let me, let me, let me finish this. I'm a big JK Dobbins talent guy. I think he's very talented running back. I think he's a great wide receiver. I think he's a great receiver, but they do not use him in the passing game at all. And that's a big, it's just, I remember a play last year was in training camp and he went over, he went over top of this linebacker and like he was parallel to the ground. He like plucked it right from him. And I'm like, this guy's amazing. And, but then they didn't even throw to him. And I just think he's in the wrong situation with Lamar running and you got Gus Edwards there and everything else. I wish he was in a better situation because I really do like J.K. Dobbins' talent. And maybe it'll come through this year. You know, he, I think he's due for some touchdown regression based on how many times he scored last year. Um, Akers is the one I'm not 100% on. I, I, I do like the Rams' offense this year with Stafford. I think the defense is solid. I think they're going to be ahead in a bunch of games where – they're going to salt it away, but you know, are they going to put Darrell Henderson in? I think, the, I think the difference too is, you know, Darrell Henderson is a pretty capable backup where I don't put Marlon Mack or Wash, whoever Washington's even going to have. I truthfully haven't even looked out in detail and watched it. Is, is it Peyton Barber, depending on? Yeah, I mean, okay, so there you go. And, you know, CEH, you got Darrell Williams, and these guys don't earn that place. Darrell Henderson is a decent running back, he's, he's solid. And I think he's going to take a little more than people think away from Akers. So I'd be a little concerned with him. Um, that's pretty much all of them, I guess. Am I missing it? Well, James yeah. Robinson. James Robinson. Um, I mean, I think the way what he did last year was phenomenal. The problem is they don't have any capital involved in him. You got a brand new coaching staff, and you just drafted a running back in the first round who you have a lot of draft capital in. So. James Robinson in the right spot when he falls to like the seventh, sometimes eighth round. When he's in the eighth round, yeah, he's a buy for me. Even in the seventh, he's a buy. But when he's in the sixth, I just there's always somebody else there that I want, and I look at him. It's kind of like you were saying earlier, Theo. You were talking about how I don't want to be playing with running back twenty six and trying to compete with somebody. 
So you might as well build it up some uh, another way. So that's pretty much on the the running backs, the rookies. So Is there, so Taylor would be your pick to have the, the best career of those guys. I think so, only because of his just of his pedigree. I mean, he was really good, I, and I think he's got a really great situation. That that offensive line is fantastic. It, it really it's the best of the group. Um, you know, Ceh and Gibson, if they start catching a lot more passes, you know, for fantasy wise, I think they could be right there with him. Swift is just on a really bad team, unfortunately. Uh, but I think he, you know, the Detroit's Detroit's their line's no slouch now. With setting, you know, they got Pool from uh, Oregon. They're not bad either. So I, I think Taylor would probably be the best one. I don't know how they rank in dynasty. I'm sure Taylor's up there. I'm sure. Taylor's up, yeah. Taylor's, you know, if there's a dynasty startup tomorrow, Taylor's going in the top three um, in a lot of these yeah. startups. Um, so he's, you know, looked upon in the dynasty community as, as a, as a running back, people have great confidence in. Um, and then so would you have a, would you have a, um, so Swift would kind of be your guy um, in terms of, if you had to pick a second back in in this group, for, for as far for as long talent term. wise, yeah, yeah I, I like Swift. I mean, if you could build, if they could build something in Detroit and put some, you know, offense around him, where he could, you know, be the guy. I think he's fantastic. I think he's a great running back. He's got great vision. He's got everything you want. He can catch the ball. Um, and I and I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people are down on him. I, think, I know there's a lot of people that really are down on him this year in redraft, and. I'm in fact, I know the draft we were in together. I did take him in the third. I think in the third round, as your third pick, I don't mind DeAndre Swift. I have a hard time taking him with my second pick, but with my third, I can live with that. I mean, I think he could be okay. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I think that he's a, he's a third round value. Um, it just like we like we talked about with Hawkinson. I I think that even if even if Jamal Williams is getting work, which he he very well could, um, Swift is going to catch a ton of passes. So it's going to be hard for for Swift not to produce at a, you know, a, a high end RB two, I, I would imagine, um, and he's got upside for more. Um, Dan, I know you're you're big on Gibson. Is is Gibson for you the number two in in this class? If you're looking long term, um, he's he's right in that conversation. I mean, you know, I think Taylor is still my number one. Uh, Dobbins on a different team, you know, would be, you know, like if you could put Dobbins on like a half a dozen other teams than Baltimore, he, he would be right in there for number, for number one or number two. Uh, with Gibson, I think he's probably the most likely to ascend to number two, just because of the fact that, you know, we, we didn't really know what he was going to be. Um, when he came in as a wide receiver, we didn't, you know, we didn't know how he'd make that transition to running back. And as it turned out, he made it just fine and a lot quicker than what I expected. I mean, I thought it would take most of the year for him to kind of, uh, you know, figure out how to, to run from the backfield that much. And it really didn't. And as Billy said, you know, he wasn't even getting that much of the passing work. So, you know, and then, then you look at, this is the system that, uh, uh, you know, pumped out uh, Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, Gibson has a lot of the same abilities as McCaffrey. And McCaffrey wasn't really used that heavily in his first year, especially, you know, in that all-purpose role. Um, he was he was splitting time a lot more as Gibson was. But, you know, it's, it, it's a difficult transition even for running backs to the NFL. A lot of times they're not going to, you know, coaches aren't going to put the entire running game and the entire receiving tree and pass blocking and everything else on their plate at once. Uh, 
they want them to, you know, master a couple of things first, and then they'll add more the second year. Um, you know, so that's why I look to get that that second year leap out of uh, Gibson. You know, if his toe is fine, and I, I know there's, you know, there is question about that. Um, I'm, I guess, probably a little bit less concerned than Billy, or at least I better be because I've been grabbing Gibson just everywhere all the time. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, he's just one of those guys I think has, you know, he has the upside that, you know, if I'm trying to pick somebody from the, you know, the round two, three turn that could be, you know, the 101 or 102 next year, I think Gibson would probably be that guy. And I'm not sure if um, if some of the guys in between there really have that much of a shot. I mean, you know, I guess it, if everything ha- happened just right for Acres, you know, he could maybe get there. But it, it's pretty tough to see otherwise. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on Gibson. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Taylor one. Um, I'm still a sucker for Swift. I love Swift long term. I think that it's going it's to happen um, mm-hmm. for him there. Um, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful it happens this year. I have him on a couple of dynasty teams and I will have him on some redraft. Um, but you, you never know in year two. And yeah, I mean, Gibson is just the, the possibilities this year. Um, I think that even if you have some apprehension about Gibson, he's the kind of guy that you, if you, if you have enough fantasy teams, you're going to want to roster some because the upside is, is absolutely there. I mean, he had 11 touches, 11 touchdowns last year. Um, and then I'll credit, I'll credit Evan Silva on this one. He had 77 um, out of 77 touches at Memphis. He found the end zone 15 times. So I know we're not allowed to say guys have a, a it's not like analytical or smart. Uh, it makes me sound like a meathead to say that guys are natural touchdown scorers, but the guy gets in the end zone all the time. And I don't think we can discount that. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm, I will have some Gibson. And, and back to what Billy said, um, I think that this that Cam Akers is an interesting one. Um, I think where where Billy took him um, in that second round, I don't think he can hurt you, but I don't know if he necessarily has the the um, the upside at ADP like some people um, think right now. It kind of seems to me that the that the Rams are going to be a passing attack, um, you know, based on all the moves they made um, and. Billy made a great point on Darrell Henderson. I know Dan has spoken highly of him in the past, but Darrell Henderson I, I, is the kind of guy that's going to have, if he's healthy, he's, he's going to catch 40 passes. So you're already taking that out of, out of K-Makers. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I, have some, I have some apprehension there. Um, what is, what's your guys' take on – I'm just curious what your guys' take is on, on Matt Stafford right now. Um, is he a guy you could see um, taking in drafts? Um, I'll start out with you, uh, Billy. Yeah, no, he, I think he could easily, I think there's easily a path for him to be a top 10 quarterback, top 12, whatever in that range. Um, the only apprehension I have with him is he, he came from Detroit where he was throwing all the time and he had to throw. They, they were always behind. The Rams have that defense. You know, when you got, when you got Aaron Donald and you got Jalen Ramsey and whatever else happens, we've seen games where they just jump out on somebody is is Matthew Stafford going to have to throw a lot in the second half of games? I'm not saying every game, but you you understand what I'm saying. There's going to be some games. I think he's just not going to have the volume where he's not going to have to throw. Now he could be a you know he could have four touchdowns in the first half, and that's great for fantasy. But if they run a few in, or if they get some defensive touchdowns, they might let off a little bit. So I'm not really going after Stafford. I agree 100 what you said. I think they brought him in to um, unleash the passing offense, and I think the receivers will do well. I think you know obviously ADP. You got Woods and Cup. They're 
going pretty high. They're, you know, they're both pretty much fourth rounders now. Um, and rightfully so they're great receivers. Um, but I, I do worry that there, there's going to be some games where he's not going to have to throw as much, definitely as much as he did in Detroit. Cause I'll tell you what, Matthew Stafford for a few of those years was, he was the king of garbage time. He was fantastic in the fourth quarter. He would put up two, three touchdowns. He would get you, two, you know, 150 yards in the fourth quarter and, you come back from the dead, your team's got we're done, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, so I don't know if we're going to see that as much in, in LA. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because back in those years, it, when you had Detroit players on your team, you just didn't even want to turn on the game until about midway <laughs> through the third quarter <laughs> because you knew they were going to have like you know three point seven points, and uh, it, you know, but then all of a sudden the fireworks would start erupting because you know the other team yeah. goes into the prevent defense and and there you go but uh let me let me throw it out real quick uh before we get all the way through this podcast we need to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors uh the ffpc uh you know we've we've talked a lot about dynasty we've talked about redraft we've talked about best ball you you want a platform where you can play all of those and they're a lot of fun uh the ffpc is definitely a great spot to do it uh, you know and all of us really enjoy playing on the FFPC. Uh, what I like is that, you know, you also have a great variety of price points too. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's one of those places where you can get in and uh, kind of learn, learn it at a low level. And then as you improve, you can, you know, start leveling yourself up to, to higher levels. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think they've done a really, really good job of that is, is to being pretty approachable to new players. So if you haven't given them a try, definitely get out there. And uh, if you're looking to get into the FFPC dynasties, uh, check out the Dynasty Depot because these guys have teams for sale all the time. They've got orphans. Some of them are great. Some of them are terrible. They're in everywhere in between. But, you know, you can find good deals at basically every price point. Uh, you can you can find really good teams that are actually selling for a reasonable price. You can also find really good teams that are selling for a humongous price. Uh, we've seen a few of those, but you, you can also get some super cheap teams and uh, you can flip teams on there pretty quick, too. Uh, you know, you can you can get a, a team for 50 bucks and, you know, within a year, you can be selling it for, you know, five hundred dollars because, you know, the FFPC system allows dynasty teams uh, to kind of turn around just that quickly. And so if you know what you're doing and you grab the right team with the right pieces on it, uh, you've got a great shot. So there's a lot of good stuff at the Dynasty Depot. A lot of fun. They have some uh, some of their own competitions as well, as far as like, uh, you know, who can uh, who can turn around the most teams or the best teams and uh, some pretty good prizes there, too. So. Uh, jump in there and check them out. Okay. So uh, just getting back to it, um, quarterback position, we just touched on Stafford. Um, the last the last few years, you kind of had a couple of these league-winning guys that maybe weren't in the, the top, you know, seven, eight drafted. Um, Josh Allen last year, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was about maybe quarterback seven off the board, quarterback six. Um, so he went a little bit higher, but he had great, great win rates. Aaron Rodgers um, went a little later. He he had some great, great win rates. Is there anybody that you two guys are seeing at this point um, that besides the the big, let's call them the big six quarterbacks, is there a guy a little later that you think has 
you know, real league winning potential, or is it still up in the air for you guys? Dan, you want to take this one first? All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on this one. You know, one thing I really like doing if I miss out on those top quarterbacks, uh, and this fits real well with talking about Stafford, is, you know, if I've missed out on the top quarterbacks and I've missed out on Brady, I like Stafford kind of the best of, you know, the rest of the, the non-running quarterbacks. And so I'll, I'll take him as kind of my baseline quarterback, and then I'm going to go fishing for upside later on in the draft, whether that's Fields, whether that's Lance, uh, you know, maybe even Tua, uh, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to look for one of those quarterbacks I think can pop from further on down on the draft board. And Stafford is a guy who can, who can kind of be a placeholder for a while until I see what's going on. And, you know, it, it also gives me an opportunity if I need to, I can, uh, you know, I can switch gears and, and pick up somebody else. If all of a sudden there's a, a hot waiver wire quarterback, you know, that's come out of nowhere for some reason, which doesn't happen every year, but, uh, but a lot of years, you know, we do, we, even as much as a, you know, in fantasy, we have the quarterback position probably figured out better than any other position. And every year we're still surprised by some of the quarterbacks that come out of the woodwork. So, uh, you know, there's, there's often a guy you can grab if you're early in on him, you know, in the first three or four weeks, uh, and get him for a pretty decent price. So, you know, if that if, if I need to take a Stafford or somebody and and uh, go fishing late in my draft or go fishing on the waiver wire, I don't mind doing that at all. I think what you said, Dan, about the going fishing for the, the quarterbacks you mentioned are exactly the three that I go fishing for as well because they're just they present so much upside mm-hmm. and there's that's what you want for those yeah out of your second quarterback. Um, the two that stick out to me that I think right now would be going past like and I, I guess we're talking about past like Justin Herbert, Tom Brady ish yeah. that range. Yeah. Um, the one that I thought was going to get a jump and he did early and now he's calling back is Ryan Tannehill. And mm-hmm. I'm really surprised he has not um, risen just a little bit more because I think right now he's a value. Just adding Julio, just adding Julio, it, take Julio, replace him for Corey Davis. Yes, they lost Johnny Smith, but you guys, Josh Reynolds, Ferkser, I think could be very serviceable this year. Um, you know, and the beauty is uh, with Tannehill, he is a runner. You know, he, he will run. I mean, I think he had seven touchdowns, which I don't see that happening again, but I think he's going to be solid. And the other one, as long as everything checks out with his knee, is Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow's got it. He's got it all set up for him this year. I mean, he's got uh, he's got three fantastic, arguably the three best receiving, the best group of three receivers in the league. Um, Pittsburgh, I guess, would be in that as well. You could argue. I'm probably missing somebody, but um, anyway, the Bengals, you know, when you have Chase and you got Boyd and you have Higgins and then you have Mixon out of the backfield, I mean, they're just missing a tight end is all they're really missing for him to have just a full complement. I'd like to know that if he can run well, um, that would be a big factor because if he can run well, I think he's he could be fantastic this year. So those would be my two. Yeah, I, I love I love that answer. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Burroughs is – it's a it's potentially a great situation, especially considering um, his ADP, where you can get him outside of the top twelve right now, which I, I think is great. Um, but like you said, um, I think he had maybe three rushing touchdowns last year, um, maybe two hundred yards on the ground. So if he if he loses that mobility, um, I think it'll hurt him. And also, uh, you know, that offensive line has to be a little bit better, you would think. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, that mobility will help him uh, stay out of trouble. But yeah, the guy had like uh, that. What was that game last year? We had like 70, 70 attempts, and 
Um, yeah, it's, certainly, it's certainly setting up for him right there. Um, and then just getting back to a guy you touched on earlier, um, Jalen Hurts. You, a lot of people are in on Hurts this year, and you seem to have apprehension. You say it's it's um, more of an accuracy thing with you, or is it? It's just you know you don't like the offense. What, what what's holding you back on that one? Um, nothing's holding me back from if we were talking about him. When you mentioned, I know you when you mentioned you said something about after the top six or seven, and he's not in that. But then you said the non-running quarterbacks. Okay, I kind so, of yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, no. So no, no. So just your opinion on on her and then. Well, I mean, I'd like to see, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience throwing the football in the NFL. So with that, we got to see first. Um, I mean, he's definitely a guy, like I was doing projections, and when I first was looking at it, just based on some things, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he had a 1,000 yards rushing this year. Like, that's who he is. Um, and, and those guys are valuable. Um, but it'd be like, it'd be nice if he had some, you know, they did add Devonta Smith, which is a weapon. He has Goddard, he has Sanders out of the backfield and, and Gainwell and all that. It, it should be okay. Um, I, I'm fine with him. I am. I'm fine with him in that group. I think with the Burrow, the Tannehill, the Stafford, you know, that whole group is there kind of after, and Brady are in that group after your big, what is it? Eight, nine or six, or no, no, sorry, about six or seven, like you said. And do you like out of that group? I'm sorry, Theo. Who do you like out of the group? So for me, I've been I've been finding myself drafting um, quarterback a little earlier this year. It, so far, I'm sure that's going to change as I do more drafts. Um, and I I have liked taking Brady. Um, I think Brady's kind of like that that right in the middle of a higher upside guy. And I know it's hard to think of Brady as an upside guy, but I think that if if with those three wide receivers, um, they return 22 starters to Tampa. I think maybe he's not priced as correctly as, as he could be. I think he could he could throw for an absolute ton of touchdown passes. Um, and then, you know, if I get stuck and I'm going late, um, I, I've liked grabbing – I like the idea of grabbing a Stafford or a Burroughs and following it up on the back end with a, a Lance or a Fields where I have potentially a, a high upside rookie. Um, I've, I've, in FFPC drafts, I've, I've added um, Lance actually to a Brady team just because he was value there. Um, I know we haven't discussed uh, Trey Lance, but I think if he does take over that that job with those weapons in San Francisco and his running ability, um, I think he's a, like, a, like a top 12 option as soon as he's in the lineup kind of guy. So I'd like taking Lance. Um, and again, Lance is, you can get him in sometimes like the 16th round, 15th round. So I'm, I'm very bullish on Lance. I think, I think I'll have him on, on a lot of benches. Um, and like you said, I, I mean, Justin Fields, um, his weapons are not bad, and uh, he's got a lot of ability. I loved him at Ohio State. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on a lot of those guys. I think it's, it's an interesting year for quarterback um, because, you know, the, 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 the top quarterbacks look good, and then we, we kind of have a, a kind of a good handle on the, on the, on the middle guys. And I, and I think, you know, there will be some interesting team builds. And I'll be interested to see, um, you know, who's winning the main event, who's winning the classic, and where they attack the quarterback position. I think it'll be very interesting this year. Um, yeah. One I had more a, thing. I'll oh, sorry. Go ahead, Billy. No, real quick. I had a, um, I had a team I just drafted a few weeks ago, and I took Herbert in the seventh, and Brady fell to me in the eleventh, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like. And I normally don't take my backup that early, but I'm like, you know, there's always a couple teams in the draft that just sit back and they're like, well, nobody's going to take a backup. And I'm like, screw this. I'm like, I'm taking, yeah. I'm taking Brady. I'm like, I'm not letting Brady fall to this guy. 
and you know, plus he's just great. At, you know, and you can play the matchups with those two. You, if it is a great, you know, with Herbert and Brady, if you if you can hit it right, I'll probably mess it up, but that's okay. Um, you know, because I've tried this game before where you do this with like, oh, I have two stud quarterbacks, and you look at these matchups, and they, like you said, Theo, the NFL, you just don't know what's going to happen. We we can say we think we know, but we don't know. So. Yeah, and, and weird things. It'll be like game flow. Like the Chargers will, will jump right. out twenty-four nothing, and you think you're going to have fifty points, and then the second half they just they take the air out of the football, and, and you're sitting there just yeah. all frustrated. So, so yeah. many things can happen. Um, and then we 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 we're almost reaching the end of the show here, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on going back to your your general strategy, the waiver wire. Are you a guy that finds yourself spending your money early? Do you like to, to spend a lot on one guy? Is there a strategy you've had over the years, or is it pretty much something you, you like to mix it up? It's it's all team dependent. Um, if I need a receiver and I'm desperate, you know, supply and demand, I mean, I got to get somebody. So that or, you know, it comes down to where, um, like somebody did drop Justin Jefferson last year in one of my auctions. And I already had, I think I had, I, I had Robinson, Metcalf, and Woods on that team. And I think I had Judy. I think I had some decent receivers, but I'm like it's Justin Jefferson. So I unloaded the chamber. I went like 700 bucks on my thousand, you know. And I had it, and oh well. And he and it paid off because he was fantastic the rest of the way. But um, a lot of times, I'm the guy who has the most money at the end because and it and a lot of that depends on you know if you're healthy or not. If you have a team that's just ravaged with injuries, you got to hit the waiver wire. If you have a team that has great bench options already and you they're already there, you don't need to touch that. And, you know, there's nothing better than having the hammer come week 13 and you know you have the most money and that prize guy that's going to lead somebody to the championship and you, nobody can outbid you. That's There's something nice about that. But um, it, it's all t- it's all team dependent for me. If I, Teams that are ravaged, I try to, you know, I never give up on a team. I don't care if it's my worst team. I've had teams, you know, that just – it just didn't work. I drafted poorly. I had injuries, whatever. It doesn't work. And I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep churning. I'm going to keep trying because I just think that I, I, we all hate the guy in the league who doesn't put a lineup in and the guy gets a free win and it costs you something along the ways and it's the worst feeling in the world. So, um, yeah, it's all team dependent for me, but I will, you know, at certain spots, it all depends what I need. If I need somebody, um, I, I do like to stream defenses depending on what I have. I'll look ahead to the schedule, and, you know, I don't mind. I'll spend a little more on a defense because if my team's solid and you know, everybody's healthy, you know, I shouldn't have to spend that, you know, anywhere else. How about you, Dan? Do you have a general philosophy? I mean, I try to. I, I in, in actual fact, I tend to, to go a little bit more on the, the David Hubbard system, which is, uh, you know, Basically, that, that money is burning a hole in my pocket, and I got to get rid of it fast. Uh, it's not the best way to do it, but no, seriously, Billy's right on. If uh, you know, if you don't need to churn, don't churn, uh, because you're just you're you're just blowing fab that you don't need to be spending. You know, if you've got decent enough guys, you know, there's a lot of times where you can say, well, yeah, but this guy on the waiver wire just scored two touchdowns, but you know, he, how much different really is he than the guy on the end of your bench that might score two touchdowns next week? Uh, you know, a lot of times there's just not that much difference between them. So if you just kind of hold yourself back from, from making those kind of turn moves and save the, save the fab for where you really need it. 
you know, as Billy was talking about injured teams, you know, you got it. You got to just spend it and try to get back in contention as quickly as you can. Uh, you can't sit there and ride an injured lineup for three or four weeks because, especially in these contest leagues, uh, you know, the season's only 12, 13 weeks long. And, you know, if you if you give away three or four weeks, you're done. So you just can't do that. You've got to got to spend that money. But, uh, yeah, it, it is a nice feeling to, to hold that hammer, but I'm also real, real good at, uh, at, at taking my last $15 and, you know, getting 13 players out of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the nice thing is, is by the time you get down to, you know, weeks 9, 10, whatever, there's a lot of teams that have just, you know, they aren't bidding on free agents anymore, uh, which means it's a lot easier to get a, you know, guy for a dollar or two if that's what you need to do. So, uh, not my preferred way to do it, but I've I've certainly done it that way. Yeah, I think I I, I think you guys both have great points. Um, and I've I've certainly done it both ways. Um, it, it's great when you have that money in in week twelve, week thirteen. You can grab you can grab you know maybe a guy gets injured, you, you end up you know getting a guy you can use in the playoffs, and you also prevent your teammates who might need it. Excuse me, your league mates from being able to get that guy for cheap. That's great. But I do think that um, I'm a sucker for week one, and I think that when those guys pop, I don't mind you know spending the money to get them early. Um, I think that when you spend money early on the waiver wire, you you might get a, a player you can use for ten weeks, and I think that 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 is also an argument to be had. Um, so it's I think there's different ways of doing it, and um, you you just don't want to spend your money on, on the wrong guy. I mean, I think we've all made mistakes on on guys. Um, you know, I think last year I, I spent a little too much on on KJ Hamler in a in an NFC uh, league or two, and I think I I spent a little too much on on Dearness Johnson when I thought that that was going to give me like maybe three weeks and right get zero out of that one. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so you don't want to get you don't want to get Dearness Johnson this year. So don't don't get don't get too excited. You got to you got to take a step back and look at it. Um, so yeah, this is this has been awesome tonight, Billy. Um, we, we've reached, uh, you know, about, about an hour and an hour and 45 minutes at this point. Um, we'd love to have you come back on, on the goat district. Um, and this was just awesome talking shop. Um, Dan, anything? Yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, a, it's always fun to, uh, to sit around and talk a little football with Billy's, uh, you know, enjoyed, uh, spending time with him in Vegas and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, if you, if, if you see Billy in Vegas, uh, just come over and introduce yourself. Try to distract him while he's drafting, especially if he's drafting against me. <laughs> especially if he's drafting against Dan in auction. That'll go well, I'm sure. Yeah, you, we didn't talk about that. In auctions, you, that, auction's a whole different ball game from Dream Draft. I mean, it's a whole different game. We're actually yeah. trying to put together a we're trying to put together an auction show. Um, yep. And we'd love to have you be part of it. Um, I'm not sure when it'll go down, but more of a big picture auction strategy. Um, yeah. We'd love to have you be part of that because uh, I know you and Dan have gone head to head many times, and uh, there's a great deal of respect there. For me, I, I play auction in some home leagues. I haven't. I don't really dip my toes too much in the FFPC, NFFC auction streets, but maybe I need to need to jump in there. But I'd certainly like to pick your guys' brains. Before before I uh, I step into a high stakes auction, so we'd well, there, love to get you back the, on there for that, Billy. There is the super. There's an opening in the New York super, Theo. The day you're coming in for the New York super, there's an opening in the super auction that afternoon. It opened up, so you know. Maybe I, I will I will attend as a spectator for that one. 
No, it's, um, that, that would be a tough one to jump into for your first one. I, I would definitely agree that with would, that. That would not go not go very well. That would not go very well. <laughs> but um, yeah, we probably have about two hours worth of questions for for both of you guys. So we'll we'll, we'll save that for a later date. Um, Billy, anything to add? No, that'd be uh, that'd be great about the auction thing. But uh, it's, it was an honor to come on here tonight. I really enjoy talking. You know, talking football. I could do this for I could do this for ten hours. I really could. And uh, um, but I really I was um, very privileged to come on. And thankfully, you guys reached out to me, and it was a fun time. And I much respect for you guys. And the thing I love about your show, and I think I told you this, Theo, is you guys are bringing people on who have done one money and done a lot of things and this is nothing against the experts the the, the industry experts and those kind of people because they do a great job as well but um i love what you guys are doing you guys are making people better drafters because they're learning from people who have had success at this because um you know and you know i know dan referenced it you reference it it's like look start looking at boards even if you're not drafting just look at draft boards you can learn so much just tendencies and things whether you know who the player you know obviously you don't know who the players are most of the time but at the same time it's just a great thing to do and and just keep you know reading everything you can and listening and but this podcast you guys are doing a fantastic job it's great 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 no podcast. we really appreciate that billy we really appreciate yeah. that um and yeah i i i do appreciate you pointing that out i think that our show has been offering a great balance between having some of the best players in the country come on in and also some of the, the sharper analysts come on so i, I think we mm-hmm. i really appreciate yeah. you you saying that and it means a lot from a player of your level um so yeah i think that that wraps us up for tonight um thanks again to to, to billy for coming on um hey, make sure you Dan. smash that like button yeah smash that like button <laughs> and uh we'll be we'll be back in the goat district tomorrow night with uh john daigle of uh nbc sports right. edge and then i'm drafting another team with with andrew schellenberg um this Thursday night um, for, for half Millie Billies, uh, we'll be drafting the football guys team. So we'll, we'll be uh, live on that one. Um, we got the 12 spot last time. Hopefully we get a little bit better draw um, and uh, have a great night, everybody. This was awesome. Take care. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. Trade's not for consignment, boy Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy This my advice, from me to you Open up your cute little podcast queue Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude Pop it in your ear, man, y'all know what to do It's the... And I always be traded And I always be traded And I always be traded Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them Fish...